0: All right, well, yes, yeah, so we drove in this morning through a whole lot of snow until we got to about Mansville, and then it ended, and there was this black stuff on the ground. I, called, I think it's called pavement. <laughs> we don't see it for several months out of the year, so it was really weird, um, but it was, yeah, it was really uh, it was nice. It was good coming down. We enjoy being here, um, and I have a message for you this morning uh, titled The Challenge of Being Alive, and uh, I want to uh, encourage you this morning. Uh, I also want to challenge you this morning. Um, I have never been accused, ever, ever been accused of being subtle. Um, and uh, with things that are going on in the world today, uh, I think the, uh, the purpose of the church is making itself more known. And unfortunately, to a large degree around the world, uh, the church is not rising to the occasion. It's just not. You can see that in the, in the world around us. We're more concerned about legitimizing things that God calls sin, I'll just leave it there, than we are about actually stepping up to the challenge that's ahead of us. And when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to this little game we call life, um, this is a game we all play. I don't know if you guys realize this, but life is a game all of us play, um, whether you like it or not. Uh, you didn't have a choice to be born. You know, Your parents made that choice for you without asking you. Uh, you know i, I can 't remember where it was. But I think it was a guy in England trying to sue his parents for birthing him without his permission oh yeah i 'm not kidding. I mean, you want to talk about unbelievably mentally absent thinking in that in that idea. Uh, could you imagine the judge trying to reason that one out How do, how do you do it the other way <laughs> uh, you know uh, it's just it 's just really strange. This is the world that we live in. And um, when we think about our our role as the church, our responsibility as the church, our responsibility as Christians, it's, it's ever-changing, it's ever but it stays the same. Uh, and I hope that's not overly confusing. The, the role we have is always changing, but it always stays the same. The, the manner in which we do things is different from generation to generation, sometimes from year to year, but the message never changes. Right? New world, old message. And... For a lot of believers, that becomes very tiresome. Oh, man, we've been done this before. Uh, how, many, how many times have you ever had someone have an idea, they bring it, and they're like, oh, we should do this, and someone goes, ah, we did that before, it didn't work. <laughs> well, maybe it didn't work because you stunk at it, and maybe they're going to be better. <laughs> you know, have you ever, ever thought about that? You're like, no, but like, oh, no, we tried it, it didn't. It, no, no, how about we try it again? How about we let God do something new, and God speak things differently into new, younger minds? Um... And challenge the church with something different. So I want to walk through a, um, an account today of two individuals with a very similar sounding name. Elijah and Elisha. And I want to take a look at a portion of their life. We're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. And I want to walk through two very different reactions to life. And how we and what we can learn in that process. Um, so this message was, when I, when I first did this message at a men's conference, like... Ten years ago, it was it was titled "Burn the Plow, Eat the Ox." Uh, so, those of you who are familiar with the story, you'll get an idea where kind of where we're going. But I want to back up to the beginning of chapter 19 to um, uh, Elijah's encounter with Jezebel, and uh, we can get an idea of how terrifying um, one angry woman can be. You know, <laughs> seriously. I mean, this this is. This, this account blows my mind for several reasons, and I'll get to it in just a second. So starting in verse 1, it reads like this. So, I have to take my glasses off to read on my phone. I need my glasses, I have to take my glasses off to read, but put them on to see you, which is just very, very strange. Actually, this isn't bad, I can't see any of your faces, don't know if you're yawning or asleep, I might actually preach the rest of the day just like this. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Elijah had just done something rather amazing. We'll get to that in a second. So Jezebel sent this, uh, sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me, even kill me, <laughs> if I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life to Beersheba, A town uh, in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree where he prayed that he might die. (laughs) Mighty man of God, right there. Mighty man of God. Just kill me, God. Every every pastor's Monday morning prayer. (laughs) Anyway, moving along. That I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than uh, my ancestors who have already died. Good for them. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came to him and touched him and said, get up, eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, to the mountain of God. This wasn't someone who was moderately afraid of whatever was coming. This is someone who is terrified. Now what you have to understand is, Elijah is actually just stepping off of one of the most iconic spiritual victories of his life. Think about this. He's challenged by 450 prophets of Baal to prove whose God is mighty, and he wins. God manifests himself, and God wins. God not only consumes the offering of Elijah, he consumes the offering of the the false prophets, and then all the false prophets are put to death, and then one ticked-off woman sends him running for his life. Think about this. God rained down fire, but she mad. I'm out. I'm gone. He ran clear to Mount <laughs> Help! I mean, it's it's insane how terrified his, he was. That brings me back to that old saying, hell's hot cools next to a woman's scorn. But here's one of the things I learned from this passage is how quickly our courage and our faith turns to fear when we don't have time to think about it, how quickly our reaction and our great faith of the mighty man of God melts away, just melts away when there's something we didn't expect. I'm sure when he walked into that encounter, that challenge between him and the other prophets, the, the false prophets of Baal, I'm sure he knew without hesitation, my God is greater. But what he didn't know, what he wasn't expecting, was a death threat coming from someone who was very determined to carry it out. Life happens, doesn't it? Whether you like it or not. And sometimes our reaction to life just happening is actually outside of our own ability to reason. Life can happen sometimes, and we do things we would never do elsewise. We react. Anyone ever been in that situation? You react, and you realize after your reaction, if you had thought about that for a second, you never would have done that. And you start to regret it. I have a friend who uh, was, um, uh, were, she was asleep one night, and then her, uh, she woke up. She said she felt weird. Something didn't seem right. She woke up, and her son was standing like face to face, with her next to the bed, you know, like an ax murderer would do. And she goes, ah, (laughs) 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 which is so awesome for so many reasons. He was like, ah, mom, you hit me. (laughs) And she's like, I'm sorry. You deserved it. (laughs) He learned a valuable lesson that day. Uh, don't walk around your house like an expert or, um, <laughs> you know but if you if she would have just thought about that for a second she wouldn't have reacted. but sometimes life happens so fast that all we all we fall back on are our more primal defensive instincts and flight is one of those instincts isn't it she's gonna kill me she has an army I don't even own a sword I'm gone Run as fast as fast as you can. Just just get out of the way. Have you ever been in a place where you stepped out of a faith building victory, and you felt great? This was amazing, and then something happens, and that faith is replaced with fear based reaction. That usually something you would have never done if you'd have had time to think about it. See. The challenge for us is not simply learning how to recover from those moments, because those moments happen. doesn't matter how confident you are, how big or strong, or or how uh, mentally aware you are. doesn't matter. Those things are going to happen. And the challenge is not only recovering from them, but learning how to mitigate them, try to keep them down to the smallest number possible. It's important. And... Another side to that is, how do we, as those people who may be outside of somebody else's fear-based reaction, help them get past the moment? See, sometimes we're on the outside watching someone completely go mental, and you know that this is, please don't do this, you were making a bad mistake, how do you help that person? And I find it interesting, because we see how God helped Moses, uh, how, oh, Moses Yeah, helped Elijah. He helped him run. Isn't that interesting? God helped him run. God didn't give him strength to stand in the moment. He helped him run. He helped him create distance between that thing that was, gonna, uh, that was, that was uh, um, uh, growing the fear inside of him. And here's the thing. God didn't just help him escape. God specifically got him to a place where the fear was far enough away he could now listen to the counsel of God. You see that? God took him far enough away from the thing that was creating fear in his life so that he could finally listen to the voice of God. And sometimes that's exactly what we need to do in our own lives. Sometimes there's something that we are, we do, we do, no, we can't, we can't do that. And sometimes someone has to help you move away from that to a point where you will finally listen to the voice of God. But that's not our natural reaction as Christians, isn't it? We want to stand and be tough. We want to stand and stand mighty, soldier of God. Put on the full armor of God and stand. Or tuck tail and run. <laughs> you know, God does both. And he's not ashamed of either. The trick is knowing which one you need at the moment. Sometimes the first step of victory is finding a place where you can be safe and heal. You ever thought about that? Sometimes finding victory, the first step in victory, is finding a place where you can be safe and heal. Sometimes you can be in a bad place for, a, for quite a while. And then God brings someone who's actually going to bring that peace, that stabilizing force. In ministry, we call these people foundation builders. Not all ministers are created equal, and that's just the way it works. But a foundation builder is almost always a peacemaker. They bring something that's missing. They can step into a situation that's chaotic, that's self-destructing, that's melting down, and they create an underlying foundation that can be built on. And this is hard, hard work. Your pastor has done this twice that I know of. One of them was the church that I took over. I laugh sometimes when people are just like, "You've done such a great job up there. We've done two building projects. We have moved off the hill. We're in almost a sixteen thousand square foot building. Um, there's a, I don't know, about three hundred people if everyone shows up, which with COVID no one ever does. So this is kind of the way it works. You know, we've done we've done a really good thing. I'm like, "Wow, you've done such a good job." And I try and I, I try to, to to help people understand this. I didn't do this. I was handed when when Dick said he was moving back here. And I don't have to elaborate on that. You guys did know everything was going on. When Dick said he was moving back here and the church eldership said, hey, will you take over the church here? I thought I was coming here. We were already making plans. We were like getting out of Watertown. (laughs) Yes! I was talking with the the restaurant corporation I was working with. We were looking at at transferring me down to, I think it was the Fayetteville store. You know, we we were already in the process of thinking about this. And then it happened. Like, we think you should stay and be the pastor. And we were like, no! (laughs) Anywhere but Tug Hill! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Aren't there people who need Jesus in Tampa? (laughs) (laughs) You know? I was handed a church, the Dick pastored for seven and a half years that was financially stable, relationally stable, doctrinally stable, there was nothing wrong. Which was pretty funny because before he left, we actually talked about this. and He said, so, just thing you need to know, if it goes bad, it's all your fault. <laughs> so, thanks. But you know what? Finding someone with the strength to walk into chaos... And create a foundation. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to build dick up. This is just part of the message today. It's just this the way this is gonna work. But I need you guys to understand something. There is a reason why he doesn't say a whole lot. There's a reason why he's quiet. It's because when you have that much weight on you, you don't speak a lot. When you have that much weight on you, you think long. You spend a lot of time debating. Now I am not that person. <laughs> I build from the foundation up. That's what I do. Dick laughs, he's laughing about this because he knows I have basically two speeds go and go fast. <laughs> I don't think long. I think, I think like a businessman. This is what needs to happen, here's the four steps it needs to happen, we need to do to, to, to go there. Go! We don't want to think about it? I've already ordered the parts. (laughs) (laughs) This is is the way this works. But when you have someone who can hold the emotional weight of that kind of a situation, here's what they're doing. They're taking you to a place far enough away from the fear where you can finally hear the counsel of God. And Dick and I have been talking about this for, for, for a little bit. My personal feeling is you're in that place where you need to start hearing something different. And you need to start listening to something a little bit different. And the thing you need to be listening to is not yesterday. It's not what was. It's not what used to happen. Right? It's not... we need. To, if you ever hear yourself say, we need to get back to the days when... Just stop. Yeah. Just stop. How many of you can, can relive yesterday? If you can, not please let me know because... I want the lottery numbers. (laughs) Okay, so we're pretty sure none of us are time travelers, right? None of us can relive the past. God does a new thing every day. And God does not want us longing for the days of Egypt when it was easy. It was easy because we were slaves. You know the cool thing about being a slave? You don't have to worry about what you're doing the next day. Because somebody else is making your decisions for you. Which is also why it's horrible. God does not want those types of people. He wants people who can think. He wants people who are, going to take, who are going to take personal responsibility for their own actions. I know that's kind of a taboo language today. Personal responsibility. Oh my gosh, what are you talking about? No. So check this out. Let's keep going with verse 9. Because this starts to get good. It says, Then he came up to a cave when he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing? Didn't God send him there? First thing God says, what are you doing here? Elijah replied, now listen to this. Listen to this. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down the altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. I'm imagining this is what he sounded like to God. And now, they want to take the bases and go home and kill me. Okay, I added that part. And God, after rolling his eyes back to the front, said, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him, as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, now imagine experiencing this. God is helping you see who he is. When Elijah heard this, he wrapped his face in a cloak, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and in a voice he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is God speaking again. And Elijah, after experiencing the presence and power of God, he says, I have zealously served you, Lord of God Almighty, and the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. Hmm. Torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And God said, get a life. <laughs> okay, I added that part too. Listen to this. Then the Lord God told him, go back the same way you came and travel the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram and then anoint Jehu, grandson of um, that guy, to be king of Israel and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat. It's a horrible name. From the town of uh, abel Mehalah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. 7,000 others. Oh, I'm so alone. I'm a bum, I'm dumb, and I'm a crumb. First thing God says to Elisha, says, What are you doing here? That question was not because God didn't know the answer. The question was because Elijah didn't know the answer. That's the thing. He didn't know what he was there because he didn't know what he needed. And so God is asking him a question to get him thinking, to get him to understand, why are you here? Do you know what you're here for? What a powerful question for you to ask yourself. When you come into church on a Sunday, when you walk to, when you go to work on, throughout the week, when you're there, when you're asking God to, to, to use you, why are you there? Do you know why you're here? Because it's not to listen to me. You can listen to me online. You're here because God has a purpose for you. The question is whether or not you believe that. When I deal with new leaders, one of the questions I ask them is, do you believe you have something in you that the rest of the church needs? And usually I get this answer. Oh, it's kind of prideful, isn't it? No. If you don't believe that there's something in you that the rest of the church needs, then there's no reason for you to lead. It's not about pride. It's about confidence in the call. We know why we're here. At least you should, I hope. If not, we'll get to it. See, when I read this, I don't hear God sounding angry. You ran all the way to my mountain. Now you're just whining and crying. God was also not really surprised by Elijah's answer. But Elijah's answer was, answer was basically an accusation against God. Did you catch that while he was giving it? He was accusing God of leaving him alone. He was accusing God of abandoning him in his time of need. Interesting. And then God takes a few moments and reminds him of his power and of his glory. And the simple fact that if he wanted Jezebel dead, she would be. But that's not how God works. See, God works through his creation. He doesn't work around his creation. If you look at through Scripture, everything that God does, he chooses Not because he can't do anything else, but he chooses to work through the hands of men and women. That's so that we can have faith in him. As much as this was an eye-roll moment, God was trying to teach Elisha something very, very important. See, sometimes we need to remember that we, as earthbound humans are hindered by our own extremely limited understanding of God's plans. Extremely limited understanding of God's plans. Think about this. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 reads like this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are beyond anything you could imagine. For imagine, uh, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We couldn't think like God if we tried. When we believe we've worked out how God is supposed to do something, I think that God just chuckles. And this is, you think about this, God is speaking to the most powerful prophet of his day. The most powerful prophet of the day can't see God's hand. Isn't that interesting? Half the time we're not being limited by God, we're not being limited by resources, we're not even being limited by numbers of people or even willingness of believers. Most of the time we're limited because we make the mistake of believing that God is going to work the way we believe he's going to work. We make the mistake of systematizing our faith. I was listening to a worship leader training seminar a long time ago, and the guy was like, "Here's how you get the the spirit of God to show up and worship." And I was, and I was young enough and at the time. I was like, "This is great! This is great! This is five songs: fast, fast, medium, fast, slow, and then up again." You ever hear one of those? Ones? And I was like, "Okay, good. Fast, fast, medium, fast, slow, and then up. And on the slow one, it's really important to squeeze your eyes together as much as you can." Because if you do, God will come out of your nose. (laughs) I think God's in the background going, You're gonna pull something. (laughs) This ain't gonna be good. This ain't gonna be good. Hope you didn't have a big breakfast. (laughs) And this is this is just wrong. See, when we systematize our faith, we think that if we do this and this and this, God will do this. That is not how God works. If you pray like this, then this will happen. A few years ago, I had a spinal injury. I have a titanium plate in my neck and a, a, three, a fused vertebrae. And I went to uh, healing rooms. And I went in, and we, get, we told the people there who, what, what was going on. And this was the first thing that they said to me. It was, oh, wow, we just read a paper that people who usually have this, this type of injury usually have really serious sexual issues. That's what I did. (laughs) That was the first thing they said to me. And I was like, no, actually, I can tell you exactly what was happening when it happened because I was there. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? Even injuries become systematized. You have this injury because you have this sin in your life. No, I screwed my neck up. That's why I have this injury surprise (laughs) accidents happen injuries happen why do we got to put some sort of methodology to it it's ridiculous to see that but we do it all the time and we get mad when god doesn't perform the way we have described or for the lack of better phrase ordered him to perform A lot of people in, here in this room that I know have been Christians for a long time. How many people do you know? Professional, professional church hoppers. You go from here to, here to 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 here. You know what they're looking for? Someone who's doing it right. Someone who will finally do it the way they know it needs to be done. Because if you would just do it the way I do it, God shows up in powerful ways. Really? Israel tried that for centuries. It didn't work. The first century church has been trying it for centuries. The Pentecostal church has been going out of its mind since Azusa Street, trying to recreate something that no one knows how it started. This is proof that God is not subject to us. It's the other way around. How often do we need to be reminded, even as leaders that we are still servants to a mighty God. No matter where he leads. No matter where he leads. If you think about it, you want to be powerful? You want to walk in the mighty power of God? So did the apostles. All but one of them were martyred. (laughs) It's not good odds. (laughs) God will protect me. Yes, he will. But you're still going to die. It's just the way this works. Those who believe God's people should only experience health, wealth, and prosperity. Ever heard that? Unfortunately, they're at odds with the entire Bible. Not some of it. All of it. From the beginning to the end. It's not what God promises us. He promises us an abundant life. He does not promise us success or money, or fame, or a big house, or a nice car. He promises us everything we need to do His will, not ours. We may have great days and plenty, and times of plenty, but we're also going to have dark days and times of lack. They will both come to you, I promise. This is because we live in a world that is broken, and humanity broke it. One of the things we need to be reminded of sometimes is that no matter how many people are in the church that love the Lord, people who have free will to fully embrace God also have free will to tell Him to take a flying leap. And sometimes it's the same person, just a different part of the day. So sometimes we need to be reminded of who God is and who His power is, but we still have a choice to make, don't we? See, Elijah made one choice in the face of extreme uh, uh, adversary, even though he had incredible spiritual victories in his life. I mean, the guy was amazing in what he was doing. But he was still scared out of his mind, scared for his life. Sent him, literally sent him running. But now listen to this. Here's the other side of the story. Chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. This is the calling of Elijah. So, uh, or Elisha. Elijah went out and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field. Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then walked away. Said nothing. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go, kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, Go back, but I, I, I What did I do? I just gave you a coat. So Elijah, now listen to this, because this is important. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood uh, from the plow to build a fire and roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Elisha knew who it was that was placing his cloak on him. He knew exactly who it was. And he also knew what it meant. Placing your cloak, giving someone your mantle was basically anointing them for the tasks that was coming ahead. He knew exactly what, what was about to happen and it was blowing his mind. There's a lot of message. Uh, there's a lot of points we could we could run into with this, but I want to focus on one thing specifically, and it's how he responded. Please listen to this. How he responded to the newness of God, the new call of God, the new anointing of God, the new direction God was putting in his life. And I want you to think about where Elijah Elijah was at this point in time. His entire life's his the perspective that he had on life. What he saw every day was a turd factory. That's all he saw, standing behind two ox. That was his life. I can imagine he's thinking just the smell alone would be awesome. To be able to smell, I don't know, flowers. He was a hired man, which meant basically at this point in time, the plow and the oxen were his. They didn't belong to a company; they were his. It would be the equivalent of someone taking their tractor and setting it on fire to go be a missionary. So basically what he was doing. He was taking every ability for him to maintain a living and eliminating it so that he could move forward. He was trashing his entire life because someone threw a coat on him. Uh, I might have to think about this for a couple minutes first. What he did was not simply taking care of business before he left on some short-term missions trip. Hey, watch my cows. I'll be back in a little bit. I want to see what this is about. He knew enough about the call of God and what the call of God meant, and what it meant to walk in the Spirit, and what it meant to, to serve the uh, 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 the powerful intention of God, he knew enough about what that was to recognize the mantle being placed on him immediately. And he knew enough to know if he was going to keep that forward motion he had to set yesterday on fire. When Cortez landed in South America to, uh, he brought 600 soldiers over to fight the, fight the Aztecs, he burned the ships. Not because he didn't want a way home, because he wanted his soldiers to know forward is the only way. Now, a little sad of his reasons for being here, but the motivation worked. There's quite a few people over the, over the centuries who have done similar things armies sometimes, especially Roman armies, sometimes would destroy bridges as they were moving forward to remind the soldiers, you're not going home till we win. It's a strong motivation. Now you think about this, in his life, all he knew was a plow and an ox. And he probably knew it really well. He was comfortable with the system of his life. He knew what to expect day after day. But then God asks him to step into something new. And his reaction is, yes, I will go. But it wasn't as simple as, yes, I will go. It's, yes, I will go, and I will make it impossible for myself to return. Think of how difficult that is. What that means for us today, what that means for the direction that you guys are moving today, because I know a little bit about what's coming uh, ahead for you guys. Some of the things you need to wrap your mind around is you cannot hang on to the successes of previous movements of God. You cannot hang on to the way uh, uh, I'm a worship leader, so I'm, I'm always looking for something, whatever God is doing next. You can't hang on. I, I love that. I, I I'm the oldest worship leader in my in my church. It's horrible. I'm the old guy. I'm the old guy I I pull out the songs And people are like I I don't even remember this one It was Lord Light the Fire again Really? Like when I got saved That was like That was like Cooking music man That was so new Touching the Father's Heart series From Vineyard Man that thing was awesome I found it on Spotify It's really cool Yeah Every now and then I pull out the really corny old songs Remember Down the Mountain It sounds like you're going You know um, Tubing (laughs) <laughs> it's, basically what the, it's basically what the song sounds like. <laughs> See, I, I, I love those songs, but you know what? Here's one of the things I told my worship team a while ago. I'll be stepping off the team at some point in time. Now I'm the senior pastor, and I'm allowed to do whatever I want, and that's kind of cool. <laughs> but here's the thing. I take up a lot of space. But this is the more important part. My previous successes in ministry take up a lot of space. Do you understand what I'm saying? One of the difficulties, this is one of the reasons why as a pastor I don't go to men's meetings and I don't go to home meetings. Because the moment I'm there, everything switches to what my opinion is, because I'm the pastor. When I do that, please hear this, when I do that, any success that I had yesterday is going to get in the way of the success the Spirit's going to have today. Because if someone needs to be prayed for, they're going to ask me how to pray for, her, how to pray for them. If something needs to happen, they're going to ask me how it should happen. If something, need, if something can be convenient, can you know, what do you think about this? And the missed ministry opportunities, How do you think this should happen? I always would get reply with them to them with the same thing. How do you think it should happen? How can I help you make that work? You know, me. Yes, you, dummy. I am where I'm supposed to be. At my church, I lead no ministries, none, on purpose. Everything going on in the church is being done by somebody else, and I work with them. My job is to lead leaders. That means, and by the way, Dick's job is to lead leaders. But that means leaders need to do two things. They need to step into the position that's being made for them. You need to accept the mantle God is placing on your life. And then you need to come under the authority of the one who is over you so they can disciple you into what you need to be. He didn't take the cloak and run. I'm the new prophet of Israel. (laughs) Fire! (laughs) And that's not what he did. He followed Elijah for six years as an assistant. This is a mighty man called of God, empowered by the Spirit. You know what God gave him for his willingness to be humble as a servant? A double blessing from the one whom he served. But a lot of times, that's not what we want to do. We got a call of God in our life. And you know what? That pastor doesn't understand. That pastor doesn't recognize. If he understood the power of God running in my life, woo! sorry, that's a WWF thing little Ric Flair going on there. <laughs> Peter would really enjoy that joke. Those who do not respect the power of the, the, the uh, 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 system of authority that God has put in place, God will never promote you beyond where you are. Believe me, I've seen it for 28 years. God promotes the humble and he usually promotes the unprepared. He usually promotes the less skilled. He usually promotes the less confident. You want to know why? Because they're the ones who know they need God. They're the ones who know they need the authority of the leadership that has been placed above them. Because you know how that leadership got there? God put it there. All those in leadership are put there because God put them there. They didn't, God did not put them there as an obstacle for you. He put them there because they have something in their life you're, you need. This little bald guy down here, he's got... Every one of his hairs had some level of anointing that you guys need. Not a lot left. Better get with him. When I first met Pastor Dick, it was in an airport in uh, New Jersey. And uh, we were on our way to Africa and I had called Samantha before we got on the plane. She goes, hey, what's this Dick Beaumont like? And we had talked for a little while and we were just in a gift shop and he talked me into buying a tie that had a bunch of golden toilet seats on it. I still have that tie. It's an amazing tie. And uh, uh, she goes, what's he like? I said, he's kind of like me, just a little bigger. (laughs) I was right. I'm funnier, but that's just different. (laughs) I got nothing to lose. (laughs) Anyway, moving right along. Lala. Let me ask you some directed questions. Are you committed to the path that God is placing in front of you? Just answer it for, to yourself. Chew on these for a little while. Uh, and then we're going to close. Are you committed to the path that God is placing in front of you? Are you, and uh, listen to this one carefully, are you as committed to, the, to setting the fire, setting, to, setting fire to what was in order to move forward are it, as you are committed to the plan? If you're committed to what God is doing to, in your life, are you as committed to set fire to what was so that God can bring something new to you? Will you let go of yesterday? Will you stop can we stop trying to recreate old revivals? I got a call from a bunch of people up in my area. We're going to start doing tent revivals. Tent revivals? Really? Yeah, we're not even going to have a sound system. Good for you. We're going to pray for you. The world has changed. The way people receive is changed. It doesn't mean these aren't good things. It doesn't mean that they can't be powerful things. But they become human things. Not God-breathed things. You've got to step into something new. You've got to let go of what was and embrace what's coming. We always hold what God has for us with an open hand. So that He can very easily remove it and put in something new. The tighter we hold something, the less God can move in our lives. As a church, you guys are at a crossroads and I think this is an amazing place of opportunity but it's also going to be a challenging place. When most people get to this kind of place, they make the same mistake the churches make over and over and over again. They try to recreate what was the things that worked in the past. And I'm not saying those things don't have... Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? When the Hebrew nation stood on the riverbank after they had been released from Egypt... Miracle after miracle after miracle. They stood on the riverbank, literally staring at the promised land. They complained because they were afraid of the unknown. They were afraid of the new. They were afraid of what they might not understand, what might challenge them and who they were. And they began to long for the days of Egypt when they were slaves. They began to long, not for the slavery, but for the lack of challenge and for provision. Lord, I'll go to Africa for you as long as I can stay in a nice house, it's air-conditioned, and I got all the money I need. I'm not going to have to eat anything gross. Uh, You know, It's it's all going to be good. I I can live like a Westerner in, in Africa. As long as I can do that, I'll go for you. God's not sending you. If we're not careful, we will do the same thing. God presents for us a challenge. And when we begin to think about the past, what we did before, how we did it before, we begin to long for the good old days. <laughs> I got some great memories, folks. I got some wonderful good old day memories. And even though those days may have been good, they are our Egypt. They are us running from Jezebel, even though God has done an amazing spiritual victory in our life. God opens the door to something new, to something that can be. And keep in mind, every time God opens a door to his people, it's just a can be. God's got you perched on the edge of the riverbank, staring into the promised land. And he's asking a very simple question. Will you go? If you're going to go, you can't take yesterday with you. If you're going to go, you can't take a systematized version of theology if you're gonna go you have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and whatever manifestation that looks like it doesn't matter we find ourselves watching other people being used by God wishing that was us and wondering why it's not and the reason it's not is because we're still looking at Egypt and God is looking at Canaan it's not us because we want to hang on to our plow and we want to hang on to our ox And it's not us because we're falling back on what we know and what what is safe and what we can control, what we're familiar with, instead of just simply trusting God to lead us into an unsure future, which is exactly what He did when we were originally being led by the Spirit. The stuff that we were falling back on is the stuff that we were walking into without knowing what to expect. And that's why it was amazing. The reason why trying to recreate the past never works is because you think you know what's going to happen. It doesn't work. What part are you going to play in the days ahead? Is it going to be moving forward or holding back? Do you want Egypt? Do you want Canaan? Pick. No one can pick it for you. It's all up to you.